sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to another Saturday morning. Hey, seven minutes after the hour. Ashley Frasca live in the WSB radio studios with you here until 9 o'clock. Hosting green and growing in uh, year number three. Starting year number three of the show and it's always a busy time when we come up on springtime for me. Uh, the calendar's getting quite full of things I want to go do and people I want to meet in the next couple of months. So I'm going to bring all of that to you for sure. And throughout the season, I want you to call with whatever you're trying or problems you're experiencing. And boy, we're going to have a lot of weeds in the lawn type calls. That always is a popular topic in the springtime. Um, so I'll be helping you during the show today. Uh, to remind you to apply a pre-emergent herbicide, now is the time to do that in your lawn, uh, like a weed and feed type thing, to make sure that you're not going to be calling about weeds in two months from now. Uh, so we'll be certainly getting calls about that. And of course, the pests and the insects and things are going to be um, back up and running. So that's going to be affecting things as well. But anything you've got questions about, 404 872 0750. And yeah, just looking ahead to the month of March, um, I've got a visit down to the University of Georgia Griffin campus again, where they do all kinds of turf grass research. It's really, really fun. A ribbon cutting at Veterans Park up in Canton in Cherokee County. And the Cherokee County Master Gardeners have a great plot and some raised beds there that I can't wait to see uh, what they're going to be doing. More recycling talk in the month of March. And this is a place in East Atlanta that recycles everything. Pretty much everything. Great for the environment. Really creative ways of thinking about that. Um, and also, I'll have Premier Tree Solutions, chopmytree.com. Those gentlemen back in March to take your tree questions. Any questions you have about tree health or pruning or anything like that, those are the experts for sure. So, yeah, we'll be getting into a lot of things today. And also, my conversation with... Um, I'm blinking. The Southern Living Plant Collection, which was so nice to talk to them just to kind of give everybody a heads up about plants that you could be considering for the spring. And they're in the color of the year. So Pantone is an organization that kind of comes up with the color of the year. And it's across everything, uh, digital platforms and fashion. And so, of course, the garden industry gets in on that, too. So we'll reveal, reveal the color of the year and Southern Living Plant Collection, uh, a lot of these things found at Pike Nurseries as well, with what plants that you can add to the landscape that are this very unique color. And trust me, I'll just say come summertime, it's definitely one you're going to want. And then at 8.30 toward the end of the show, Pike Nurseries is calling with flowers that are blooming right now as we transition to spring. You've still got a number of months that you can enjoy plants that uh, are tolerant of the cold weather because we're still kind of on that roller coaster of you know, I got sunburned yesterday, and then it's going to be chilly this weekend. So, yeah, that's that's kind of it. But these plants will will withstand that as well. So, um, first up, I want to share with you uh, a trip I took this past week to the Atlanta Botanical Garden, and I was able to meet with the folks at the North Georgia Camellia Society. I was so um, honored by their invite to their camellia exhibition. But the reason I'm bringing it to you not to share with you the winners, you know, who submitted uh, camellia blooms or anything. That was all very, very interesting, and growers are so passionate about those. 
But the interesting nugget I took away from it is grafting and propagating. So, you know, you see neighbors or maybe uh, a family member with these large, beautiful camellia shrubs and think, I want one in my landscape. And maybe it has some sentimental meaning or sentimental value to it. So there is a way to take a cutting and propagate it. That means grow it into an entirely new plant just from a cutting. And I want you to hear about my conversation uh, with the folks at the North Georgia Camellia Society on just how to do that. Good morning, everybody, here at the North Georgia Camellia Exhibition at the Atlanta Botanical Gardens, and I'm with John Scarpucci. Tell me about this morning and how much you all have waited for this exhibition today. We do this once a year, and these flowers bloom from October through March. And here in Atlanta, the weather is very difficult. So we plan for the show for six months, and we pray for the weather for a month that um, we don't have heavy frost or freezing rain or anything like that. So today we've got between 250 and 300 blooms. Uh, The weather has been quite kind to us this year so far. Thankfully, we'll have a wonderful show. Um, There are 6,000 varieties of camellia. The American Camellia Society classifies them by size, by species, whether they're japonica or sasanqua or reticulata or hybrids. So each one of those varieties, uh, not the varieties, but each one of the classes has a lot of different variables to it. And folks have been, you know, bringing in their blooms for maybe a day or two. And it's exciting for you guys who know a lot of these varieties to get something that has maybe been lost in time and rediscovering a variety that could be generations old. Yeah, we have a, our story is that a lot of people in Atlanta may remember Rich's department store. And in honor of uh, Mr. Rich's wife, uh, Virginia, who was a civic leader in her time, when she passed away in 1957, they named a Japonica camellia the Virginia Rich. And it's a wonderful medium-sized bloom that uh, has wonderful pink and light pink coloring to it. This flower we could not find it. And one of our members, Jim Pruckler, who loves to find old blooms, has been looking for it for about 10 years. Last year, I was giving a presentation to the Dunwoody Garden Club and had a slide on our our lost loves. And a Mrs. Norma Jones in the club raised her hand and said, you know, I think I have that bloom in my backyard. And to make a long story short, in fact, she did. So we've now been able to recover that flower. And that means that we can put it out and propagate it. So we've got it propagated at Massey Lane, which is the home of the American Camellia Society. We have it at at Cater Wolford Gardens here in Atlanta, at Woodlands Gardens here in Atlanta, uh, some of our personal gardens, so that this bloom won't be lost again. It's really exciting when when we can do that because a lot of your listeners who have camellias in their backyard look out, wonder what it is. All of a sudden it blooms in February. They don't understand what it is. And then they go and look at it and they haven't got a clue what the bloom is at all. They just know it's a big red flower. Mm -hmm. When we can identify these, it's really fun for us. And we've got a number of those that we've recovered. We found uh, one that was named after my wife's mother's maiden name and it's from it was it was propagated in 1952 by one of her cousins in savannah georgia so those are the kinds of stories that that we love to hear and it it gives us a little bit of excitement 
when we come to a flower show, and especially for us judges, when we judge and all of a sudden we see a bloom we've never seen before, and that's really exciting for us. Discovering lost loves, as you say, camellia varieties that maybe have gotten lost over the generations, or even I go to my neighbor's house and they have a plant that is beautiful and I want to take a cutting of it and then I have no idea what to do with that cutting. Propagation is the Mm -hmm. term we use for that. Mm -hmm. But what are a couple of simple ways that you can make a new plant from a cutting? There are really three simple ways to do it. First of all, just take a cutting and you you take the cuttings of new growth sometime in june or july just as it starts to harden off take a cutting and put some root hormone on it and stick it in the soil and close it try to make a little hot house if you can and keep it moist and that way you can you can get a lot of cuttings uh, propagating but that takes a long time there are two other ways that are significantly fat quicker. One is what we call air layering, where we take a branch, we peel the bark off of it, and then we wrap the bark in sphagnum moss and then wrap the sphagnum moss with aluminum foil, mm-hmm. seal the ends off, and in about five or six months, you can go back and you can cut that branch off and there'll be a root ball at the bottom of it. And then the third popular way of doing it is called grafting, where you take a cutting take a, a what we call rootstock and you can you can even do it on a branch of an existing camellia plant and cut into it and then what you have to do is merge the cambium layers of the two plants together and then seal it off with um, tape or something like that uh, in the old days they used to just do it with wax and what will happen is the rootstock plant will feed the cutting so as long as you do camellia to camellia, whether it's a sasanqua to sasanqua or sasanqua to japonica, that's fine. But it's an old technique. A lot of people use it. And now, so say I take a viable cutting, you know, one that's got a few leaves on it, long, new growth in June. About how long will it be before I can expect to be able to plant that somewhere you, new? Oh, if it's a cutting, it'll be two years, three before you can really put it in the ground air layers the advantage of air layers is that you can plant that you'll have a an 18 to 24 inch tall plant in six months and it'll probably bloom in a year or two and grafting is pretty much the same way that's why cuttings get you volume grafting and air layer gets you growth quickly and grafting is really what most of the professional growers use Now, say when you're taking a cutting, what would you recommend for someone literally taking a cutting off of a neighbor's plant or a friend's plant? Is it a good idea to maybe do three in case a couple of don't survive, or do we need to look more like at six or seven? No, I mean, I I usually take four or five, hoping for 50%, okay? So, and the more you do, the better off you are. And, but with grafting, again, you can get away with fewer. And sometimes that's, sometimes you have to do that because sometimes the source material is is a very small plant or uh, one that may not be healthy mm-hmm. i don't recommend not doing healthy plants but if it's the only you know if it's grandma's favorite pink perfection you just have to roll the dice so how interesting is that now some of you some of you and it's okay i won't take it personally maybe rolling your eyes thinking <laughs> i could just go buy a camellia pike and be done with it but i am just so grateful to uh john scarpucci and Jim Pruckler, because in their grafting workshop, they actually grafted a very rare uh, camellia onto a rootstock for me and sent me home with it in a little pot. And I'm 
terrified. I don't want to mess it up. So I'll probably be asking for advice from you all um, who have had success doing that, grafting a cutting onto rootstock, and I'll be ready to plant it in my yard. You you heard John say there in two or three years. So uh, And Shady B actually weighed in on this topic, and I had no idea that you were a gardener. But um, tell me about Propagate. I mean, what what is that exactly? If you learn nothing else from that segment, well, you know, I I, I have this problem at home okay. because m- when I'm trying to you know m- mow the front yard, I'm trying to get the lawnmower in the backyard. Of my the gate keeps closing, so the solution was to propagate. Whoa, <laughs> that was so. Good. I apologize. To every- hey, you hear that clicking sound? <laughs> That's everybody's radios turning off. Oh no! Bye, that everybody. Was- Thanks for being here. But I mean, I literally have known you for years, and I just asked, "How long have you been holding on to that joke?" And you just <laughs> thunk of it, didn't you? John just inspired me. <laughs> Thanks, John. Oh, so stick around until nine a.m. this morning for more humor, just like that from Shaney B. I've got Ann answering the phones four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty. We'll be back. No more tacky jokes, but the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. It's Green and Growing on WSB. An update on the weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, increasing clouds and maybe a chance of showers coming on later in the day. But morning sunshine, a high of 62. So yeah, wear that sunscreen. Learn learn from my mistakes. A low of 48 and then rain in the forecast tomorrow, at least a 60% chance. Cloudy and cool with rain showers throughout the day, going back to mostly sunny on Monday. Green and Growing Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. We'll be talking a lot about this throughout the show because I know a lot of you are trying to prepare your lawns for spring. So this one's important if you take nothing else away. Number one, now is the time to apply a spring pre-emergent to prevent crabgrass, goosegrass, other summer weeds from sprouting. That can be some broadleaf weeds too, like dandelions. Um, Timing's the same for fescue, Bermuda, and zoysia lawns. And if you do this, though, don't overseed your fescue yard at this time. So you either have to do one or the other. We'll kind of get into that a little bit as uh, time goes on. Number two, cut back your panicle hydrangeas like limelight. Right now, cut them all the way back. I did mine, and I did my Rosa Sharon as well. They looked twiggy and limmy all winter long, and they look so much better. And number three, be on the lookout for early spring blooming trees. Peach tree, Okami cherry, and Autumnalis cherry are just some of the ones right now showing off the small pink flowers. So there you go. That's either an Okami cherry or Autumnalis cherry. 404-872-0750 Southern Living Plant Collection when we return with the color of the year and how to uh, put that into your landscape. And also Grant with a great question about pruning Japanese maples. We'll be back to green and growing on WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to Green and Growing, folks. I'm your host, Ashley Frasca. Glad you're along on a fun Saturday morning. We always have a good time together. And you can call the show, 404-872-0750. But right now, I want you to hear this interview. This is a really fun topic. I've got with me the director at the Southern Living Plant Collection, Kip McConnell. And Kip, what part of the country are you calling us from this morning? 
I live in Mobile, Alabama, so we're right on the Gulf Coast, Gulf of Mexico, and um, been here my whole life, actually. We are neighbors, and you know all about planting in the Southeast, so welcome to the show, and welcome to the Atlanta audience here. Thank you very much. Good to be here. And I want to explain to folks how we determine a color of the year, okay? So Pantone is a provider of professional color language standards and all of these kinds of things, and they introduced a new blue shade, very Perry. And you think of blue, maybe a little bit of purple, a dynamic periwinkle blue. But Kip, the reason we bring you on for this conversation is because the Southern Living Plant Collection wants to introduce folks to beautiful plants bearing this color. Yeah, I mean, this has always been a really fun project uh, since they've started having these colors of the year. So we always try to use this to you know, bring a little excitement and kind of show off some of the plants that fit the color because we always seem to have something that fits. And this year is no exception. You know, one of the great new ones uh, we'll start with is something that a lot of people are familiar with, but we have a new version. It's called Vitex Summertime Blues or chase tree, but this mm-hmm. is a smaller version, only about four to five feet tall, but again has those beautiful bluish purple flowers in the summer. So I think it's a great fit to display this very peri color palette. Absolutely. And, you know, for us here in Metro Atlanta, I often find Vitex along the side of the interstate because it is a very sturdy small tree or shrub. And it reminds me of just an oversized, monstrous butterfly bush. But that's kind of what the blooms look like for folks, you know, that may not know what we're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like a spiky bloom. But a b- very showy in that summertime when you really want something and it's it's a little different than your crepe myrtles because it gives you that really blue color. So it's a really nice addition for that summertime to add that little cooler color to the palette. Love that. That's a fun one. And I'm sure with those blooms, it's attractive to birds and wildlife too, no? Oh, very much so, yeah. Again, the other thing that I love about Vitex is, like you said, how sturdy they are. I mean, they're very hardy, very easy to grow. And uh, I think, you know, anyone can be successful with a Vitex. Yes, and it's nice to have this summertime blues Vitex that may only get five to six feet high. So, Kip, like you said, that's a little smaller. And as we go down the list here, most of these things are, you know, excitingly enough for spring and going into summertime, going to be very attractive to birds, hummingbirds, butterflies. And we know, you know, things are very trendy right now as far as wanting to attract the pollinators to your garden and we just spent the winter months with not much color not a whole lot to look at so let's keep telling folks where we can fit this very peri color into our landscape with these different plants of course encore azaleas is another favorite of ours too when we have a great variety called autumn lilac which is almost the perfect color for this show because it's just the, one of the most beautiful colors i think we have different than a lot of other azalea colors and that fits very well and this is a dwarf version so it fits most gardens and then another one that's really fun because it has so many uses is the uh, chef's choice rosemary so it's a dwarf rosemary only going to get 18 to 24 inches high but it has those beautiful blue periwinkle flowers and again this is because of its name you can tell chef's choice rosemary it's got great oil content so it's great for cooking so it gives you that other usage as well so it works well in the garden and even in mixed containers Since you're an established gardener, Kip, I've got to ask, though, what's your favorite dish to pair with rosemary? Usually rosemary is chicken, but I also put it on top of steak, too. I'm not a big um, lamb, but I know a lot of people use it for that. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I like like those two items to add a little bit of uh, extra 
you know, fragrance to everything. Now, rosemary's a great one, thrives in full sun, so we have to keep that in mind. And is this one of those plants that you're in the southeast region, Kip, along with us? Is this one of those things that may be better off potted because we're going to have to take it inside in the cold months? Yes, there there are. So this is zone, you know, 8 to 10. So, you know, in the Atlanta area, you're kind of on the border there. But the other good reason to put it in a container, too, is because this is like a Mediterranean plant. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like a lot of water. So, you know, if we some areas we plant it, if you have the really heavy clay soil or something, it's not going to like that. If you get it up in a container where it drains well, you're usually a little more successful with it that way, too. Plus, you can put it near where you're cooking and that makes it, you know, more accessible. So another good version, too, um, and you mentioned, you know, for pollinators and insects and butterflies and things is the uh, nectar blue salvia. Mm. And salvias are very popular, and I love this color. This is a perennial it is just got this gorgeous, you know, bluish purple color on it. And of course, salvias are very drought tolerant, heat tolerant, love the sun. So I think it's another good option to kind of bring this color into your garden. And some folks do find that deer aren't as attracted to salvias. They might be other things. So that makes it even more attractive, doesn't it? Hey, exactly. <laughs> we get that question more and more every day. Is it deer resistant? <laughs> and uh, you know, that's one of the things we look at when we're, you know, bringing new plants into the collection that has risen near to the top of the list on things that you like to look for. Isn't that something? So salvia is always a great one. Like you said, a magnet for bees and butterflies does really well here in zone, zone 7B for sure. And then some other options. Uh, we have a really nice collection of agapanthus and they've become more and more popular. Even though it's on the edge of hardiness for the Atlanta market, it's still a worthwhile plant to have. It just has such a unique, you know, bloom on it. And we have some really great colors. We've got three varieties in the collection that kind of display this uh, bluish purple, very peri color. Little Blue Fountain, which is a really dwarf one, which is nice if you got a small container or a small space. And then Neverland Agapanthus, which has these nice variegated foliage along with the blue flowers. And then Ever Amethyst, which is actually my favorite of the group. I mean, it has a nice big, you know, traditional Agapanthus bloom, but not too tall. Uh, get to about, you know, 20 to 24 inches tall. But, I mean, the color on this bloom is spectacular. It's one of the deepest of the very peri colors we have. It really is amazing. And like you said, in, in containers are useful as a cut flower. But for someone who's never seen agapanthus before, Kip, what would you say that it's relatable to? Like almost with that long stem, that stalk, it kind of reminds me of maybe like a hurricane lily or a you know naked lady lily or something like that, right? Because you see more yeah, stem. Yeah, it, it, that spike that comes up mm-hmm. and then it has that round, you know, just ball sphere of blooms at the top of that skinny spike. Uh, So really, really unique and uh, long-lasting, too. But you'll get through the spring into the midsummer, you'll have blooms. And what's interesting is even when the flowers are spent and you just have the spike left, it's actually kind of attractive for a while, even after the blooms are gone. And don't worry, folks, if you're not sure of some of the plants that Kip and I are talking about, there are pictures on the Facebook page. When you search Facebook, search Green and Growing WSB, and you'll see the pictures that Southern Living Plant Collection has provided for us so that you can kind of get an idea of some of these. And what I love, too, Kip, is a lot of these being perennial. Plant at one time, take care of it. And if it's planted properly to begin with, it is going to come back. And like you said, agapanthus may be on the, the rim here for, you know, cold tolerance. But when we have mild winters like we have this year, guaranteed maybe if you throw some mulch over it, you know, that it will come back. 
Oh, very worthwhile to have. Like mm-hmm. I said, you know, it, you know, we just have to take a chance sometime to get some great plants in our garden. And then one little quick uh, aside too, uh, you know, we talked about all these plants that have this beautiful color, but I always find that um, using different colored containers can add a color and then you can match it with one of our other plants, you know, like gardenias, which have beautiful white or, or even hydrangeas that have white flowers. If you had a, a very peri container mixed with that, oh man, that would be really pretty. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, like all the nurseries always around July 4th, you know, in the middle of summer, are looking for those themes, those red, white, and blue themes. So you're always struggling to find a blue flower because you're like, oh, red and white, that's everywhere, you know, with geraniums or whatever. So a lot of these will be just fine in the summertime. Exactly. Oh, they love that. Yep, leaning toward a blue color. So let me ask you maybe about the salvia, with that being a heavy-blooming perennial, and the agapanthus as well. Tell us just really basic technique. Let's plant it right, put it in the right spot, and then that way it's really going to thrive. Both of these plants don't like wet feet. They they like to be well-drained. So one thing that I always like to tell people is make sure you either just, you know, build build up your bed a little bit. Make sure you have good drainage for either one of these. And then again, both of them love to be in containers. So uh, container planting is is very worthwhile for these as well. But other than that, full sun is better for both. Park shade is okay for agapanthus, but the salvia, the more sun you give it, the more blooms you're going to get. Water when needed, and they're, they're pretty easy. I love that, Kip. These are foolproof. Now, whether it's right now, this very time of year, or in a couple of months, a lot of these plants we're talking about from the Southern Living Plant Collection will be available at Pike Nurseries. Exactly. And don't hesitate to ask. You know, when you go to the garden center, if you don't see it, they know how to get it. You say, oh, I'm looking for this. And and they they know the suppliers and they'll make the call and have it for you. Oh, I guarantee once folks see these pictures and they fall in love with this very peri color of the year, they're going to want it in their landscape. Well, Kip McConnell, director at Southern Living Plant Collection, we've enjoyed you bringing some bright color to an otherwise colorless winter now getting excited for spring planting. Oh, Ashley, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And coming up in just about 10 minutes, Pike Nursery, along with some more colorful plants that you're going to enjoy putting in your landscape. Stay tuned. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. A chilly 40 degrees in Midtown Atlanta right now, but warming up to a high of around 62 today, but increasing clouds and rain late in the evening. Tomorrow, rain for a lot of the day. Cloudy and cool, high of 56 and low of 43. So saying good morning to uh, folks on the Facebook page, Cindy and Frank. Good morning. And again, as I mentioned in my interview with Kip um, from the Southern Living Plant Collection, you can see really good pictures of all of those very peri plants that we talked about or plants that come in a color similar to very peri. And come July 4th, you're going to want something with a blue hint um, in your pots and containers to go along with the red and the white flowers. 404-872-0750. Up first, we talked to Grant in Atlanta. Hey, good morning. Hey, good morning, Ashley. How are you today? Really good. And I like you've got a couple of questions for me, and they're good ones. Okay, great. Yeah, I've been listening to you guys uh, since uh, 1994, ah, every Saturday morning. Thank you. Walter Reeves. Yeah, 26 yeah. years. Oh, my goodness. I yeah. only hope I can last that long. No, you're doing a great <laughs> thank job. Thank you. Okay, uh, question number one. I have a Kamukiyama Japanese maple. It's the weeping kind, uh, bright crimson leaves. Mm -hmm. And I'm really worried about her because 
I notice a lot of the uh, stems are dead oh, no. on it. Some are alive, some are dead. And I think it may be my fault. I tried to prune it a couple of years back, and I may have damaged it. So I'm wondering, uh, when is the best time to prune it? Uh, is it really going to die this year? And do you recommend maybe a tree doctor to come out and, and look at her? If it's a valuable tree, I absolutely would have an arborist come out and just make sure. Because really, any pruning that you do shouldn't cause the tree to die back. Um, so right now, as it has no leaves on it, um, my friend Norm Mitleider talked to him a couple of weeks ago about pruning Japanese maples and other trees. Um, prune out the dead stuff right now, Grant, as you can see it, you know, with no leaves on it, the winter silhouette's going to be easier to do that. And then a lot of uh, pruning you can do once it leaves out and you kind of see the structure coming up in April. Um, but you know what I want you to do, if you wouldn't mind, let's make sure that if some of those branches are dying that something else isn't going on. So if you can, I want you to take a couple of pictures, maybe at the base of the trunk for me, kind of close up, make sure nothing's going on at the base. Uh, maybe just up along the trunk. We'll make sure that the trunk looks good. And then if you see a couple of the branches, whether you're seeing them die, you know, from in on the center out or the tips of them, take a picture for me where you think the branches are dead. Um, and let me kind of look at it, too, before I, you know, advise you, oh, it's just pruning. You know, it could be something else. We just want to make sure it's not. Okay, I'll do that. I can just download the pictures on the website. You can do that, or I can put you back on hold when we're done talking, and you can talk to Ann, and she'll give you my email address, and you can just oh, shoot great. me, you know, maybe three or four pictures. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then my second question, about two years ago, I uh, put centipede sod in my backyard, yeah. in an area in my backyard, because the uh, Bermuda grass died out because of the, the shade. Uh, oh. So I was recommended to do centipede. So I over, I sodded it with centipede, but I still had the problem of the shade. So this year I cut back uh, the trees to make a canopy to hopefully bring in some more light. Um, should I resod the areas with ball spots or can I seed it? Um, you can do either one, um, and it's best to do it in the summertime since that is a warm season grass, probably focus on June. Um, it really just depends on the area. If you've got large bald spots, I would go ahead and do a sod. Um, and then it's on you really to make sure it stays watered, you know, at least an inch of water a week if it doesn't rain at that time in the summer. And if it's just small little areas, you could certainly do seed in June. Perfect advice. You're the one that gave me the advice about uh, when is the best time to cut back my knockoff roses. And you said, always remember around Valentine's Day. Yes, that's exactly when I pruned my knockouts, too. It was like the week after Valentine's Day. And there is nothing you can do to hurt those. They are so sturdy. I'm going to put you on hold, Grant, so you can get my email address from Anne. But great questions. And I love what you did. If Centipede Lawn is what you're going with and you knew it needed more sun, that was a very smart move to limb up some of those trees. You know, I mean, I hate to tell people to just cut down trees for the sake of a lawn, but yeah, limbing them up does not hurt at all. You'll get a lot more sunlight. Centipede thrives on that. It's a warm season grass again. Um, and go to WalterReeves.com for any of you who have questions about your lawn. WalterReeves.com and type in Lawn Care Calendar. And man, you come up with a great one-page calendar for any grass, fescue, Bermuda, centipede, zoysia, everything you need to be doing every month of the year, and you'll have the best lawn in the neighborhood. Trust me. Thanks for the call, Grant. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll talk to Lee in Watkinsville about daffodils and you, 404-872-0750.